Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Alright, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The U.S. plans a weeks-long bombing campaign on Iranian targets. So U.S. officials told NBC News that the U.S. is planning to to launch a weeks-long bombing campaign in the Middle East in retaliation for the drone attack in Northeast Jordan that killed three American soldiers. So the officials said that the targets are expected to include Iranian targets outside of Iran, and the campaign will involve strikes and cyber operations. Other reports have said the U.S. is considering targeting Iranians in Iraq and Syria or targeting the Iranian Navy. So this is very concerning because we're not going to know what they're going to do until they do it. We're not going to know if they're going to target the Iranian military until they do or or don't. Uh, but the fact that most of these reports I'm reading about the planning and these U.S. officials telling NBC that this is what they're probably going to do, um, it's it's not good. And, you know, they're, they're not considering bombing Iran the, the country, which I guess that's good, but still direct attacks on the Iranian military could provoke a full-blown war between the U.S. and Iran, and who knows what that could turn into. There's a lot of U.S. bases in the Middle East that Iran can hit with its missiles. Um, and the U.S. is taking is considering taking this course of action, even though it has no evidence that Iran was involved in the drone attack in Jordan, beyond the fact that Iran funds and uh, arms the Shia militias the U.S. thinks was responsible. And by that standard, that means Hamas, Russia, other countries the U.S. has funded and armed, you know, wars against them, especially when it comes to Russia. I mean, that means Russia has the right to hit NATO, hit the U.S. That's the logic. That's the line of thinking here. And the Pentagon has said that the Jordan attack had the footprints of Kateb Hezbollah, which is one of the main Shia militias in Iraq. We'll get more into the, that uh, in another story. Um, so John Kirby, the White House National Security Council spokesman, he hinted at the possibility of the U.S. responding with a drawn-out bombing campaign. Discussing the potential U.S. response, he said, quote, the first thing you see won't be the last thing, end quote. And he also said it won't be a one-off. And we've seen Blinken make similar comments, say that it could be a sustained response. So planning a pretty serious bombing campaign, it sounds like here. And the headlines, I mean, CNN had a headline today that Biden is getting another war that he didn't want. But it's very clear uh, that he does. He wants to support Israel and what's happening, the slaughter in Gaza, as much as possible, even if that means war in Yemen, uh, war in Iraq, Syria, and war with Iran. Um, And Iran has vowed to respond to any U.S. attacks on Iranians in the region, any attacks targeting Iranian nationals, targeting Iranian interests that are outside of Iran. They're saying they will respond. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And I've seen people saying that this could start, you know, this week, uh, not exactly clear on the timeline yet when this might, when these, this U.S. response might start. All right. So this next story here, I, I think is kind of a glimmer of potential hope that maybe things won't spiral out of control. 
And it's not thanks to the U.S. It's not thanks to Biden. Uh, the Iraqi government and Iran pressured Kateb Hezbollah to stop attacking the U.S. So Reuters reported on Wednesday that the Iraqi government and Iran pressured Kateb Hezbollah and other Iraqi Shia militias to suspend attacks against U.S. forces in an effort to de-escalate tensions in the region. Kateb Hezbollah announced on Tuesday that it was suspending operations against the U.S. because it did not want to embarrass the Iraqi government. And in its statement, Kateb Hezbollah said that Iran had actually repeatedly declared opposition to their escalation against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. And this announcement came as the U.S. is preparing its big response. Um, So the White House said on Wednesday, they say that they think Kateb Hezbollah was involved. And then on Wednesday, they said, oh, the Islamic resistance in Iraq is like, that's what the intelligence is telling us, that it was them. The the Islamic resistance in Iraq is this group that popped up pretty recently, basically on on Telegram. um, You know, that's a term for kind of the Shia... Uh, resistance in Iraq to, you know, both the when the U.S. invaded and uh, when they were fighting against the Shias and when they were fighting the Sunnis and, and ISIS. Um, but the, the group that's been claiming attacks on U.S. troops kind of just emerged basically online on Telegram. And it's not clear exactly which militias are, are involved, but it's it's likely, I think it's pretty clear that Kateb Hezbollah is involved. The fact that they announced that they are suspending attacks on U.S. troops mean that they've been suspending the, the attacks. But nobody's officially taken credit for killing the three U.S. troops. Um, but um, anyway, so the uh, the Iraqi government, according to this report from, from Reuters, they've been trying to uh, you know ease tensions and get these attacks to stop and get the U.S. to stop bombing Iraq. The U.S. has launched several rounds of airstrikes in Iraq now. And according to this Reuters report, killing U.S. troops in Jordan was a step too far for the Iraqi government. They were not happy about it. Farhad Aladin, who's an advisor to Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani, he confirmed that the Iraqi government worked to de-escalate and get Kateb Hezbollah to agree not to attack the U.S. So he said, quote, Prime Minister al-Sudani has been working hard in the past few days engaging with all relevant parties inside and outside Iraq. All sides need to support the efforts of the prime minister to prevent any possible escalation, end quote. So Iraqi sources told Reuters that ruling Iraqi Shia factions helped broker a deal to put an end to the attacks on U.S. troops. One Iraqi Shia politician said, quote, this comes as a result of internal pressure and also a will by our neighbor to de-escalate, end quote. And their neighbor that they're talking about there is Iran. So another source described the negotiating as a real team effort, including with participation of the neighbor, again, referring to Iran. One source said that the other Shia militias agreed to suspend operations as well, but that they could resume if the U.S. launches a major attack in response to the killing of the U.S. troops. So and it sounds like they are, based on that previous report, that the U.S. is planning something really big. So this is a sign that Iran doesn't want things to escalate. I think that's been pretty clear anyway, and that the militias are willing to to step down. And I think the U.S. is basically, you know, I doubt, unfortunately, that they're not going to respond in some way with, with airstrikes. 
this tells me that there might be a chance. I mean, maybe I'm I'm being naive here that that the U.S. at least some people in the U.S. government are like, all right, they're telling us that they don't want this thing to get out of control. We want we launched some limited airstrikes, kind of like we have, and uh, you know, don't don't really destroy too much. Then maybe we can all back down. But unfortunately, I, it does seem like they're planning something much bigger than that. Uh, but anyway, there's some there's a lot of signs, and I'm sure Iran's telling the U.S. stuff through back channels that they they don't want things to get out of control here. But you know, right now we are relying on the restraint of the U.S. and Biden, which is not good. That is not you know we're not in a good situation. All right, so the next one here, uh, Representative Thomas Massey hints at impeachment of of Biden if he starts a war with Iran. So Thomas Massey, House representative from Kentucky, he appeared to threaten to pursue the impeachment of President Biden if he started a war with Iran. Massey posted a video from 2007 on X of then-Senator Biden threatening President George W. Bush with impeachment if he went to war with Iran without congressional approval. Biden said in the video, quote, I made it clear to the president that if he takes this nation to war in Iran without congressional approval, I will make it my business to impeach him, end quote. So Massey wrote in his post on X, quote, in 2007, Senator Biden put the president on notice that he would impeach him for going to war with Iran without congressional approval. Consider this your notice, end quote. And then he tagged Biden in the in the post. So it sounds like he's threatening Biden with impeachment if he starts a war with Iran. And uh I just mentioned that this post from Massey comes amid all these reports that the US might be planning to hit Iran directly. Um so with all this going on, another uh comment that President Biden has made about Iran in the past also surfaced. This is a tweet from January 6th, 2020, which was just a few days after Trump killed Soleimani, the Iranian general, the head of the Quds Force. Huge escalation that we all thought, you know, this means war with Iran. We were on the brink. Um, So this is what Biden said then. He said, quote, let's be clear, Donald Trump does not have the authority to take us into war with Iran without congressional approval. A president should never take this nation to war without the informed consent of the American people, end quote. And I agree with that statement. Um, I think no war with Iran, you know, congressional approval or not, let's just not do it in general, uh, because unfortunately, Congress is full of Iran hawks that might approve it anyway. Um, But it's interesting to see. And so speaking of the Soleimani thing, you know, the U.S. killed their, you know, one of their top generals and Iran had to respond. And they responded by firing missiles, a lot of missiles, at a U.S. base in Iraq. And as far as I understand it, they basically told the Iraqi government what they were going to target. So the U.S. kind of got a heads up. And it didn't kill any American troops. There was some traumatic brain injuries. And then that was it. It was, you know, unfortunately, Iran also shot down a passenger plane at the time because the tensions were so high. They mistaken it for incoming missile or something. But, you know... There was nothing after that Iranian missile strike. So hopefully, you know, unfortunately, we can't hope that the U.S. isn't going to do something because, you know, there's do something ism is, is a problem 
You know, they have to do something. They can't just pull out and, and get the troops out of harm's way and just stop escalating these tensions for no reason. Um, they have to do something. So, you know, if they give Iran a little heads up, maybe they'll hit some IRGC facilities. I don't know. Them just These are things I'm just kind of throwing out there. <clears throat> um, all right. So the next one here, U.S. troops. This, this is not good. U.S. troops are on standby for a potential mission, ground mission in Gaza. So U.S. Air Force personnel in Iraq received a memo in January ordering them to be on standby to support potential U.S. ground involvement in Gaza. This was reported by The Intercept, and they obtained a memo that contained orders for airmen to be placed on, quote, standby to forward deploy to support troops in the case of ground U.S. involvement in the Israel-Hamas war, end quote. A separate personnel document also obtained by The Intercept showed that this order was meant for personnel deployed to Iraq last year. The document does not suggest U.S. ground operations in Gaza are definitely going to happen, but it does demonstrate the lengths that the U.S. might be willing to go to support the Israeli slaughter of Palestinians. Israel has been receiving support from U.S. special operations soldiers on intelligence matters. We know that they're in Israel, but there's no indication that there's been U.S. troops on the ground in Gaza. The revelation comes as, you know, tensions are really high. So this has me thinking kind of worst case scenario here. You know, things are very close to exploding into a major, major war. I mean, U.S. versus Iran fighting it out is would be huge. Like, I mean could be a huge war. So seeing this memo, maybe the U.S. is planning that if that full war breaks out, then, okay, well, we have to make sure, you know, it's us and Israel versus Iran and and their allies. So we have to make sure Israel can win in Gaza. So maybe they're planning to send troops into Gaza, which would be, I mean, oh, man, I, I don't know. That's kind of, again, my worst case scenario. But, I mean, you have to figure that they're planning for it if there's a possibility of this of this big war breaking out they must be making plans for it and this could be uh one of the plans all right so the next one here uh so this is from the guardian it's titled how war destroyed gaza's neighborhoods and it's a visual investigation so really they just have kind of some interactive things here mapping out just the scale of destruction in Gaza. And it says basically between 50 and 60% of all the buildings in Gaza have been damaged or destroyed. And they have some, they really go through some details in the satellite pictures showing the buildings destroyed and everything in red that you see on this map is damaged or destroyed. So I just want to get to the map where it shows like the whole Gaza Strip because it is really like just something to see. And, you know, this is all over in the north and the south. Khan Yunus and the areas in the south are being destroyed just as much as the north was now. And you see that map. It's just so much red. Um, and it's not just buildings. They're destroying agricultural land and greenhouses. They're bulldozing in the, on the kind of outskirts of, of Gaza. Um, just complete destruction. Um, all right, so the next one here, the Israeli army occupies Gaza homes, then illegally burns them down. So this article is from Haaretz, and it says Israeli soldiers have begun in recent weeks to set fire to homes in the Gaza Strip following direct orders from their commanders without the necessary legal permission to do so, according to information obtained by Haaretz. Soldiers have been destroyed 
Soldiers have destroyed several hundred buildings using this method over the past month. After the structure is set on fire along with everything inside it, it is allowed to burn out until it is rendered useless. The IDF said in response to the report that the destruction of buildings is done only with approved means and that any action carried out in different ways will be looked into. When asked about the new practice, an Israeli army commander told Haaretz that the structures are selected for burning based on intel. When asked about a building that was set ablaze not far from where the interview took place, the commander said, quote, There must have been information about the landlord or maybe something was found there. I don't know exactly why that house was set on fire, end quote. And this is something Israel does in the West Bank. Like, if if a Palestinian attacks an Israeli soldier or something and they, they kill him, they don't just, or they arrest him, they don't just leave it at that. A lot of times they destroy their houses. They bulldoze their homes, even if other people live there. Um, and this is, you know, that's how they frame it as, oh, they're punishing someone. But it's clear this is part of the destruction of Gaza because Israel wants to take it over, wants to make it uninhabitable. And it's very similar to what Zionist uh, forces did in, in, you know, 47, 48, um, when the state of Israel was founded during the Nakba, when they drove Palestinians out of villages. In many cases, they they destroyed the houses so they couldn't come back. They burned them down. Um, so this is another way that they are destroying Gaza. Um, all right, so the next one here, Zelensky is expected to oust his top general. So Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to fire Ukraine's top general, Valery Zelushny, and this move could definitely backfire due to Zelushny's popularity inside Ukraine. So Ukrainian media outlets reported that Zelensky told Zelushny that he would be moved to another post, but that the general refused to step down as commander-in-chief. Other reports said Zelensky told Zelushny that he would be fired, but for now he remains in his position. Zelensky's office has denied that there was a conversation about Zelushny's firing, but Ukrainian sources speaking to the media say that it's just a matter of time before the general is sacked. And this was reported all over Ukrainian media that this meeting happened. And sources told Politico that the reason why he's been spared so far is because Zelensky is afraid of creating a powerful new political rival. Solushny has long been rumored to be a potential future presidential candidate once Zelensky allows elections to happen again. Zelushny has not officially announced intentions to enter politics, but polling has shown that the Ukrainian public trusts Zelushny significantly more than Zelensky, making him a real political threat. And this has been rumored for a long time that Zelushny might run for president one day. Um, so one source told Politico, quote, so far Zelushny has not decided to enter politics, but he is considering this option and the president's office is afraid. I know for a fact that Zelushny is going to be fired, but it was not supposed to happen on Monday and it did not, end quote. So Zelushny and Zelensky, they've long kind of been at odds and this spat spilled out into the public last fall when Zelushny said the, the war against Russia was a stalemate and that there would be no breakthrough in the counteroffensive. Zelensky had some pretty, uh, you know, he really kind of scolded Zelushny publicly f- for saying that for saying something that's kind of an obvious truth, especially now. Um, Zelensky's still still claiming they can gain territory and everything. Um, And so another spat between them right now is over Ukraine's plans for new mobilization. Zelushny says he needs 500,000 new troops. That's a lot. 
to match what Russia has mobilized. But Zelensky believes that's impractical since Ukraine is short on uniforms, weapons, training facilities, and funds. And this is according to the Washington Post. So they're short on everything, but Zelensky's still trying to keep this war going. And I guess Solution is telling him, well, if we want to keep fighting, we need this. And basically Zelensky's saying that can't happen. So, um, and, and the Washington Post, they quoted a Ukrainian battalion commander who said that sacking Zelushny, who was popular among both the military and civilians, would be a disaster. This official, sorry, this battalion commander said, quote, this is a catastrophic step. When this becomes official, we're screwed. The morale of both the military and society will go way down, end quote. So just another sign that Zelensky, Zelensky certainly is in trouble. All right, the next one here, the U.S. begins shipping long-range bombs to Ukraine. This is one from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. So Washington plans to ship its first batch of ground-launched long-range bombs to Kiev this week. The arms were designed for the Ukrainian military and will give Kiev another option for deep strikes. So these are the um, GBU-39 small diameter bombs. with a So that they're combined with a specific type of rocket motor. It's a new weapon that I believe Boeing has, yeah, it's Boeing has designed, and it has a range of 90 miles. And at this point, Ukraine has already received some attackums from the U.S., which have a range of uh, a little longer than that. Um, but these are something the U.S. has been planning to give Ukraine for a while. And I know, I know last year, Russia said that they intercepted some of these. I don't know if that was ever confirmed, um, but there was a chance that Ukraine has some already. Um, but now uh, they're expected to get a big batch of them soon. It's not clear how many. And this is something Ukraine is kind of doing a lot more as these strikes, longer range strikes inside Russian controlled territory in Ukraine, as well as inside Russia, as things are, you know, they have no chance on the battlefield. They're kind of getting desperate. And so giving them more longer range weapons, certainly that this risk of escalation, uh, you know, continues to grow here. All right, so the next one here, the U.S. launches its 11th round of strikes in Yemen. So the U.S. launched more strikes against the Houthis on Wednesday, marking at least the 11th time that the U.S. has targeted Yemen since President Biden started bombing the country on January 12th. U.S. Central Command claimed that the strikes targeted a Houthi surface-to-air missile that they claimed was a threat to U.S. aircraft. Yemen's al Masira TV reported that U.S. and British strikes uh, hit targets north of the city of Sadah, uh, which is up in the north, kind of close to Saudi Arabia. The UK joined the US in some of the bombings in Yemen, but CENTCOM did not say Britain was involved in this round. So the, the Houthi, they said that the US and, and the UK launched these, but it looks like it was just the US, um, according to CENTCOM at least. And the Houthis also said that they fired missiles at a US Navy destroyer and at a US commercial ship that day as well. So things are still uh, really escalating here when it comes to Yemen. And, and of course, Biden has acknowledged that his strikes on the Houthis are not working, but he's going to continue them anyway. So this is why I'm so, you know, I can't imagine him kind of backing down when it comes to the situation in Iraq, Syria, with, with Iran, with the militias and everything, just because of this, how reckless he is when it comes to Yemen. 
All right. Um, so the next one here, U.S. and Venezuela diplomatic process breaks down. So this is another one from Kyle. And it says the first steps of a path aimed at improving ties between the U.S. and Venezuela have been abandoned. Washington has reimposed sanctions on Caracas and threatened more. Venezuelan officials say the country will block deportation flights from the U.S. Last October, the U.S. and Venezuela agreed to work to improve bilateral ties. Under Trump, the U.S. imposed an economic war against Venezuela and attempted to remove the president, Maduro. In a series of coups, they recognized this guy, Juan Guaido, as the president of Venezuela, even though he wasn't. Um, it was a very failed coup that, that the U.S. tried. Um, and it was right out in the open. It was very, very crazy. Um, but Biden agreed to lift the sanctions on Venezuela's gold and oil sectors, and Maduro agreed to accept Venezuelans deported from the U.S. But on Monday, the Treasury Department reimposed sanctions on Venezuela's state mining company. The U.S. said the move was in response to Venezuela's Supreme Court ruling that two Venezuelan uh, opposition politicians could not run for, for president. And uh, Ryan Grimm, who's a journalist for The Intercept, he kind of challenged the State Department on its hypocrisy because Imran Khan, the former prime minister of Pakistan, he was just sentenced to 10 years in jail. And actually, in another case, he was sentenced to 14 years in jail. So they're jailing him. And the U.S. has has nothing to say about it. And, you know, he basically just kind of pointed out that hypocr- hypocrisy of sanctioning Venezuela and not condemning uh, Pakistan for what for what it did. And Pakistan, as it was reported by Grimm at The Intercept, the U.S. pressured Pakistan to hold a no-confidence vote to, to oust Khan because what they called his aggressive neutrality when it came to the war in Ukraine. That's why the U.S. wanted him out, because he was neutral. Um, it's really just unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, so it looks like they are saying if Venezuela does not restore these candidates' ability to run, the sanctions on the oil industry will be reimposed, and then Venezuela is back under total basically a total u.s embargo they lifted um just you know so far pretty minor sanctions so biden hasn't reversed trump's policy uh, really at all all right so the last one here kenya says that it can deploy troops to haiti even though its court ruled that it can't so kenya's president says that the deployment of 1,000 kenyan police officers to haiti could happen as soon as next week and this is regardless, again, of Kenya's Supreme Court ruled that the they can't deploy these police uh, overseas. Uh, but the president wants to, and this is a, a U.S.-backed operation, a U.S.-planned operation. Um, and I think the U.S. is promising some, some nice aid to Kenya in response for this. So the uh, president is saying that he can circumvent the court ruling. But there are opposition figures that are really working against this. Um, So we'll see uh, what actually happens. Um, So that's it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. One from Edward Lazansky, who lost the peace dividend after the end of the Cold War. One from Matthew Ho, what the first week of war with Iran could look like. One from Ted Snyder, Richard Sakwa explains how we ended up in a new Cold War. One from Bradley Devlin, Tucker Carlson wars with the Iran Hawks. And one from Daniel Larison, the atrocity in Gaza keeps getting worse. So please go check all of that out. You could always support this show 
by uh, just sharing it, telling your friends about antiwar.com. Like, subscribe, comment. I appreciate all the comments. I feel like we get a, a whole bunch now on YouTube. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the Camp Dave. Follow antiwar.com on Twitter. I'll be back tomorrow. One more show this week. Let's hope we don't end up in a war with Iran. Uh, but anyway, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.